If you'll please take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. It's a passage that Neil has uh, read for us already and because of its length, um, but I want you to open to it as we walk through this passage. And as you're turning, um, let me just personally uh, invite you to the Renew and Revitalize this coming weekend. Um, I know it's a a late thing that's added to your calendar, but I think it's a very important uh, aspect, especially for those who are new to the congregation, those who are uh, maybe have forgotten what it is that is part of our vision. So it's an opportunity for us to come together and to, to edify one another, to look at ourselves. And so, again, as I've been studying uh, to prepare for it, uh, one of the quotes that came up is, we don't need to be a church of the moment We don't need to be a church of maintenance. We need to be a church of movement. And what that means is, again, we don't need to just be a flash in the pan. We don't need to be talked about as, oh, that Northside church, weren't they good for that one period of time? And we don't need to be about maintenance. We don't just need to to maintain so we don't lose things or so uh, we keep the the sanctuary nice and clean. And we want to do that, but we need to be beyond that. There needs to be the understanding where we bring ourselves to where we see Christ's kingdom as a movement throughout this uh, Brevard County. And as we see the movement, we want to remind ourselves that it's God's first. Him. And as we begin to put it first in our lives, we have a time to confess. We have a time to make sure that our families are being edified by the, by the gospel message. And then the church as a whole. We need to understand about repentance and forgiveness we need to be people of the word. Again, I'm just grateful that you're here. This is an amazing thing. As I've had the, the vacation time last week. It was a, a good time to see some friends and stuff like that. But it was also a hard time in the sense of seeing how many people are not going to church at all. Or going to churches that don't preach the gospel. That don't believe the word. And so we need to be people of the word. We need to be about kingdom prayers. We need to be praying, we need to be vision motivated, we need to go back and understand what it means to be a church of worship, teaching, nurture, and reaching, and then to remind you that you are the missionaries. You are. The question is, where has God put you? Where should you be leading Bible studies at your places of work, in your neighborhoods, in your sphere of influence? How are you going out and telling the gospel message? And then to remind yourself, you are the church. And so people come and they see you and they see us. And so I would, I would beg you to come and be a part of this next weekend. Whether you are here and you've been here for 30 years or you've only been here for one week. Come and be edified and be nourished and understand and allow the gospel just to wash over you and edify one another. So that's my challenge to you as we begin uh, the process today. So we come to where the author of Proverbs is giving us, he's given us practical and applicable wisdom for everyday life. And so he calls us to listen to wisdom and to think about the consequences of our choices. And as we submit ourselves to the wisdom that is to be found in Christ Jesus. And so I want to, to kind of set up this passage today because this passage is an idealized warning and it's a warning from a father to a son. But that does not mean that all women are bad and men are good. That's not what this passage is about. It's a passage that applies to everyone. It applies whether you're married or not married. 
It applies to all aspects of relationship. So whether in the specific context or in general principles. So the question for us this morning is who do we listen to? Do we listen to the sweet seduction of the world or do we listen to the wise counsel of God that brings life? That's the question for us this morning. Let's pray as we prepare ourselves. Heavenly Father, you are the author of this word. And because you are perfect, your word is perfect, and you give us the words to life. Life here and life everlasting. So Father, draw us closer to your Son who is wisdom. And let us be changed to look more like our Savior today than when we came. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first section that we're going to look at is the verses 1 through 7. And you'll see this. And it's a question I raise of who are we listening to? So he talks by making a distinction between wisdom and that which is forbidden. So when we look at wisdom, we understand we are told to listen Now, there is a big distinction between hearing and listening. Especially women, you understand this with husbands more than anything. Are you listening to what I am saying to you? Yeah, I heard you. That's not what I asked. I know you can hear things. You're perceiving sounds. You know I am saying words. But are you listening to me? Because listening is a concentration, and it's a processing that gives meaning to the words that we hear. So the author is saying to us, listen. Listen so that you do not compromise. Listen so that you might be wise in all relationships. Ray Ortland, in his uh, book on this, gives this illustration. I think it's a great illustration. He says, Wisdom is talking like a fire. And a fire that is in the fireplace is good. You can warm up to it and it should be set ablaze. It should be glowing. But fire that is let loose in the house is bad. And it soon consumes the whole building. That's the way it should be in regards to wisdom in relationships. Relationships that are good should be set ablaze because they're in the right perspective. Forbidden relationships should be avoided because they consume and burn down the house. So we have this understanding that he says, listen to what I'm about to say. And the first thing he tells us to do in verses 5 through 6 is to have wise thinking. He tells us to have wise thinking. Now, why does he tell us to to, to do this? Here's why. We need to think critically about the consequences of our choices before we're in the moment. Because if we wait for the moment, if we're honest, it's too late. So we need to think of the consequences before we get into a place where we begin to touch the forbidden, when we begin to touch the unholy. See, we have to hold fast to wisdom. Now, why would God tell us that there are some relationships that are forbidden? Well, the first thing he tells us in this passage in verses 3 and 4 is he says, The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood. 
See, there's the understanding that communication is very and very important. It's one of the key things as I deal with marriage counseling. It's one of the key things that I deal with. Are you communicating with other people? And are you communicating effectively? There's a very elementary exercise that we do in counseling. And I, you give the opportunity to say, now give me an I wish statement. I wish my husband would pick up the dirty laundry. And I go, okay, husband, what did you hear? She said, I'm a slob. No, that's not what she said. She said, pick up the dirty laundry. Don't personalize it. Don't make it something that it's not. Are we really listening to one another? Because communication is very powerful. Because with communication, we can be very truthful to one another. We can be have some of the most loving words come through our communication. We can encourage one another. We can protect one another. But words can also be some of the most hurtful things. With our words, we lie. With our words, we can become lustful. With our words, we become discouraging and even divisive. So what the author is telling us, he says, be very careful because the woman who is forbidden comes with honey. And I want you to hear this because a lot of times uh, relationships that are forbidden, for, are forbidden start very innocently. Talk at work. Connecting with old boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook. Going to the gym and being um, told how good you look. We buy into the world's understanding of you are to be happy. We start listening to words where these can become harmful. If I weren't married, you and I could get together. If I was younger or if I was older, things would be different. Oh, if you were just my daughter-in-law, if you were just my son-in-law, these words have meaning and they start so innocently, but they proceed to become things that became very bitter. Because we all like to hear words of communication. We all like to be built up. And so if we're not hearing it at home, if we're not hearing it from our spouse, then we will seek it out. And we'll find ourselves becoming very close to the things that are very bitter and a double-edged sword. So be careful with your words. But he also says, be careful where you look. Looking is has an ability to warp a marriage relationship or any relationship. If you tell your kids that they should look a certain way, like the por- like the pictures of a magazine or on the movie or other families, can't you just be like so and so's kids? You do this in regards to spouses. And it's a warping thing that becomes harmful because the message we send to people is you're not good enough. And it begins to put false expectations on another person. And what it does is it also brings another person into your marriage. Think about the things. Listen, the covenant of marriage was created so that I might bring the pleasure to another. That's why we give our rings. I don't wear my covenant ring. I wear my wife's covenant. Women, you wear your husband's covenant, his promises. You wear it. 
And so we say, I'm going to live for the pleasure of others. When we look at things like pornography or go to the computer or we begin to lust after things. And again, I don't want to be crass, but I don't want to be too simple. But when we begin to look at other things, it's for the pleasure of me. And it's so anti what God put into place in regards to the covenant of marriage. So be careful with your words and be careful with your looks. And so this is how the author begins. He says, listen to me, son. I'm telling you the truth. He goes on to explain what happens when we find the pitfalls of infidelity. These are verses 8 through 14 in your passage. The first thing he says is stay away. Stay far away from her and do not go near the door of her house. Now, why would he say stay far away? Here's why. I think we are the only people or the only part of creation that purposely takes risks. Have you ever seen that? There are animals that take risks when they have to to cross a river or something like that and you see like the monkey crossing the river in front of a crocodile or something like that but he's got to get across the river he knows he doesn't want to be there humans we tend to go and say well how close can i get and not get in trouble many of you probably saw the little girl and the bison in yellowstone this little girl how close is he this is a wild bison out in a park and this little girl comes within feet of it and the bison takes this little girl flips her up in the air thankfully didn't kill her but what were they thinking and why did the parents run away also think there was on the discovery channel we're getting ready for this whole shark week you've probably heard it if you have cable but there was a a scene where two people were in the ocean surrounded by bull sharks and the commentator was saying i am very nervous except for the fact that i have an expert in sharks so i'm out here standing in the midst of bull sharks and the expert starts saying they don't want to bite you they don't want to have anything to do with you right until the time that his calf got bit off (laughs) on tv as the expert in sharks Why do we as human beings do foolish things? Why do we take chances? The Bible tells us very clearly, and especially in this passage, keep wise distance from things that can destroy you. And he's saying very specifically in regards to this woman, we need to purposely, listen, purposely put practical safeguards into place. Know your temptations. If you know that going on a computer is going to be a temptation for you, then have someone else with you when you go on the computer. I don't think anybody should have a computer or game systems in private. I think that's wrong. I think that's a bad thing to do. I think if you struggle with movies, don't watch the movies. If you struggle by reading romance novels don't read romance novels if you struggle going to the beach don't go to the beach or go with a specific purpose in mind 
But understand practically, how do I keep myself pure? How do I keep myself far from sin? Because the reality is, we should stay away from trouble. Now, why does he tell us to stay away from trouble? Look at verses 8 through 11. He tells us there are three major things that come out of this. These are the pitfalls and the consequences if we find ourselves in the midst of forbidden things. One, we endure loss. We endure loss in regards to family and friends. If you cheat, you can lose everything that you've worked for in your life. You'll lose family and friends maybe. You'll also lose things. If you are in relationship with another person, you can lose physical things. Your house, your car, your children. So there are things that you can lose as a consequence. There's also, it says, that we find ourselves in the midst of dishonor. There is public disgrace. How many of us, all we have to do is look on the news to know of those who have been publicly disgraced. And so he says, hey, you're losing these things to other people. You're being disgraced and you find yourself in regards to spiritual um, disillusionment. You're, you're far away. Because when we find ourselves in sin, what's the first thing we do? We get away from God. And so he says, this is things that are going to happen if you find yourselves in the midst of forbidden things. And the last thing it says that comes about is regret. Listen, consequences happen and consequences matter. That's why he's telling us, hey, listen, don't do it. Run from it. Because if you do these things, there are going to be times in your life where you're going to regret what you have done. And so there's the opportunity then to say, I wish I could do it all over again. But we can't. And so we have to make sure that we understand that there are pitfalls and consequences to our choices. And then what he does in the passage is the author tells us then we should own our sin. What do I mean by that? This is verses 12 through 14. And he says, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. I am at the brink of utter ruin. See, it's this understanding that, again, most people in our day and age like to play the blame game. It's always other people's faults. It's always other circumstances. I remember very clearly saying to my um, parents, um, specifically my mom, this is your fault that I'm drunk. What? If you guys hadn't had your marriage the way you were, I wouldn't have had to go out and pick up a bottle. Not, not once did my parents ever put a bottle to my mouth and said, here, drink. But I had no problem blaming them. We get so good at blaming other things and other people. If only this hadn't happened, if only these people weren't in my life, things would be better. No, what the author tells us is that we should own our sin, my sin. And we should name the specific sins. It's easy to say, I'm a sinner. Okay, so what is your sin? Well, wait a minute, Pastor, you're getting personal. Isn't it enough to say, I'm a sinner? General? Big picture? No. Because my sins affect other people, and more specifically, Jesus Christ. My sin sent Jesus to the cross. He had to die for my sin and my specific sins. 
So now, this isn't in the passage, but I'm not going to leave you here because that seems awfully harsh. And here is what I want you to hear because it's going to set us up for coming to the table. You, once you own up to your sin, need to receive forgiveness. You need to receive forgiveness. Why? Because the Father is waiting for you to run back to Him with open arms. And He's saying, come home. Even if you've been consequences to your sin, even if you're struggling, come home to the open arms of the Father. Because there is forgiveness and there is, listen, restoration. Which means that your relationship could be made stronger. Is it hard to go through trials and tribulations? Yes. But if you go through a trial and tribulation and you stay with that person, it becomes stronger. It's the whole aspect of the military. Why do they do boot camp? They're tearing you down as an individual and building you up as a unit. So I didn't just get, I didn't have to worry about my bunk during inspection. Each person on the side of me, if they failed, guess you got to go and do extra duty. Not just the people who failed, but the people next to them went to do extra duty. Why? Because I allowed them to fail. We should be of the understanding that, again, we are coming to Christ and he restores good relationships, which means he can make relationships better. And not only that, you've got to learn to forgive yourself. Listen, it says Jesus takes our sin and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. And it says another thing. He remembers them no more. But as we as humans, we always remember. Let me tell you about that time when you disappointed me. I have it down here in my ledger. June 16th, 1986. You said this to me. First of all, understand this. Your sin does not define you. Your sin doesn't define you. If you are a Christian, Jesus defines you. And so we have to allow ourselves to get to the place where we forgive ourselves. And I'm telling you, the quicker you are to forgive yourself, the quicker you are to forgive other people. The last thing we need is a church full of people who are self-righteous. Remember the Apostle Paul starts off when he becomes a Christian. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the, most, I'm the least of the most important people in God's kingdom. He goes further in life and he gets to the place where he says, well, I'm the least of the Christians. At the end of Paul's life, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Now, this is after Paul has gone out and preached the gospel. He's been stoned for his beliefs. He's planted churches around the world. He's been shipwrecked. He's been uh, beaten for it. He's been whipped for the gospel presentation. So Paul, you, you've got it wrong. Why would you say you're the worst of sinners? Because he's living during the time of Nero, who's taking Christians out and lighting them on fire for his parties. Why would he think that he's the worst of sinners? Because when he looks at himself compared to Jesus, we fall short. 
And so as we allow Christ to forgive us for our sins, we should be quick to forgive those around us. Don't define other people by their sin because you don't want to be defined by your sin, especially before a loving God. So he gives us the warning. He says, listen to me. And then he says, here are the pitfalls. But then he gives to us the blessings. What are the blessings if we listen to wisdom? These are verses 15 through 23. The first thing I want you, want you to see is he says, don't lose that loving feeling. Now, again, that's the, the song that comes from the top gun scene or whatever. Goose, she's lost that loving feeling. Oh, I'm sorry she's lost that loving feeling. She hasn't lost that loving feeling. Now, it's a great scene, a horrible scene in some ways. But this is a horrible song. Have you guys listened to this song? It's a horrible song. So the author's kind of coming to us and he's saying... Don't lose the loving feeling you have for your spouse. Don't lose it. For the spouse of your youth, you should, listen, grow in right devotion to them. What what does that mean? It means that I should be going deeper in my love for my wife every day. Not becoming good roommates. Not tolerating one another. Not just talking about surfacey things. It is a purposeful devotion to go deeper, to learn more. It's the same thing because Christ, listen, Christ makes a distinction. He says it's a mystery where Jesus and the church are like a husband and a wife. Now why would he do that? Because he's saying he's the one who's always faithful. And he's telling us, so now be more devoted and fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's for us. And it should be that desire of us to say, man, I want to know Jesus more intimately. I want to know him fuller. I want to, in a weird way, date Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about that? How do I keep my relationship with Jesus fresh and new? So again, it's this understanding that we are to devote ourselves to the Lord, we're to devote ourselves to our spouses. And then he goes to verses 18 through 20. And this is, again, it's, this is why you're here to church that preaches all of scripture, because I probably would not have done this passage or I would have given it to Chris last week. Um, so that he's the one who has to be embarrassed. And I, again, I'm trying not to be crass, but what he's saying to us in this passage, verses 18 through 20, is he says, be crazy in love. Be crazy in love with your spouse, which means we are to enjoy one another. We're never to stop dating. We're never to stop learning new things. Keep your relationships fresh. And not only that, we get some very explicit words here. He says, may your quality and the quantity of your life be spicy. Thank you. We won't go there. I know who that came from. But we of all people, as Christians, should have the best marriage relationships around. The best. Because you don't have to worry about anything. You can be fully known and be known fully. Do you understand that? You're supposed to be spiritually, emotionally trusting of that person. 
You don't have to worry, are, do they have wandering eyes? Are they, are they going and communicating to people on Facebook? Are they leaving me around? Are they looking at things improperly? You won't have to. You get to have the desires of your heart fulfilled in another person. And God says, it's a good thing. And keep it fresh and keep it holy. God said that. So don't allow the world to mess it up. Don't find momentary pleasures at the cost of lasting pleasure to be found. And so he tells us to enjoy, and again I said to be fully known and loved. I mean to to know that and to be trusted and open. It's a good thing. But then he tells us at the end of this passage, verses 21 through 23, decide. See, there's a, a path of destruction. And again, I want you to understand, it's not hidden. You know, he's told you. We see it on TV all the time. If you find yourself in a forbidden relationship, there are consequences. You know there's going to be consequences. But listen, what is it? It's comfortable. It's easy. And it's selfish. Because I can have the woman that I want at the time that I want it. Wherever. I want. Same is true for women with men. And the Bible tells you very clearly that path of destruction leads to destruction. Loss, dishonor, regret. But there's also a decision to follow the path of righteousness. And the path of righteousness is not hidden. You don't just fall into a relationship and say, oh, man, I fell into the perfect relationship. Anybody who's been um, married longer than a week will tell you marriage is hard. Two sinful people trying to make it work in a sinful world with many temptations. It doesn't just happen. It takes hard work. It takes selflessness. What does it mean to die to myself and put my spouse on the pedestal right after Christ? That's the enjoyment. That's what we search for. And when we find that, it always, always leads to enjoyment and truth. So we've been told, listen. Listen to the words of wisdom and not enter into the things that are forbidden. Understand and think critically because there are pitfalls and consequences. And that being said, please forgive yourself of these sins if you have gone and confessed your sins to Christ. For they have been paid for. They've been paid for. So forgive yourself. Restore relationships that you can. But then, please enjoy the blessings that God has given to you. Keep relationships fresh. All relationships, all friendships. If everything that you do is going and you do the same thing day after 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 day. And I want to do this purposely to you because I want to annoy you a little bit. Because that's what your friendship is. Keep it fresh. But those who are married, stoke the fire. 
Be more in love with your spouse. Five years, 10 years, 25 years, 50 years, 60 years, more in love than you ever were. Why? Because that's what Christ does for us. Do you get that? He is more. His love is perfect. So our understanding of his love gets bigger. That's the table. Do you get this? We're preparing for our wedding feast. You get to come and you get to be a part of a relationship with Jesus forevermore. And he's always faithful, always perfect, always loving. And he keeps telling you, come home to me. Why do you keep looking for things in all the wrong places? Come home. That's his desire. And that's his call to the table this morning. So let's pray as we prepare ourselves. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who tells us what it's like to live life, real life, in the real world. Lord, you told us that there are always going to be temptations. There's always going to be time for sin. There's always going to be time for momentaries. And yet you have told us also that there is the opportunity to be fulfilled in the wife of our youth. That we can be fulfilled in someone. We can stoke that fire. We can be in a loving and trusting relationship like you have given to us. Or we get it, it's not perfect, but it is a representation. So that when people see us, they should ask the question, what is different about their marriage? And we would be so So happy to tell them it's because Jesus is first and my spouse is second. So Father, encourage us, edify us, but more than anything, change us to look more like our Savior and our husband, Jesus Christ. And may we fall deeper and deeper in love with him every day. For this we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen.